0: Well, good evening, everybody. Uh, Nice to be with you in this slightly different way tonight. And uh, I'm with you, I was gonna say from, uh, uh, live from Phuket in Thailand or something like that, but uh, maybe we can do this with the technology we've got. But no, I'm just at home. We've had uh, uh, Jara with a COVID case this week. Everyone's fine, she's fine, everyone else is fine. We're just stuck here for another couple of days. And, uh, and so that's, uh, that's what's happening. So nice to be with you in this way, uh, in any case, uh, we're, um, happy as well to say that I can actually see you. Um, so I have a view, uh, from the front of the church, uh, looking at all of you right now. So you can give me a wave if you want, uh, and say g'day. It's, uh, it's great to be with you as, uh, as we do that. So you can give me a wave, uh, uh well at any time and to be honest i'll see you when you uh, get up and go to the loo and all the rest of it tonight so there you go now um i want to say thanks uh to matt alder because um he has set up all of this technology tonight to allow this to be done live as opposed to pre-recorded makes it a bit easier um and also makes it a bit more hopefully enjoyable on the run through as well Uh, so thank you matt just uh Another uh, add uh, thing to add to your list, Matt, if you don't know, Matt has uh, not only been warden and finance man and all the rest of it, but has also taken on uh, fresh youth this year. We're really excited about that, Matt, and it's great to have you as a part of the team as well. So thank you for all of your hard work. Um, also, I haven't had the joy yet of being on that new deck uh, that you enjoyed as you came in tonight uh, because of the isolation. So I'm looking forward to getting out and having a Uh, uh, but I do know that what I can see from my office here is lots of work that's gone on. Matt Leach particularly has uh, taken all of that fencing and repurposed it and put it all together uh, to make temporary gates and fences at the front to make it all safe and secure. Uh, He spent most of his day off on Friday doing that and then Saturday yesterday as well. Matt Alder was also a part of that too and uh, so you might like to uh, thank them as well and uh, put your hands together for them. That's uh, a fantastic thing that they've done so thank you guys for all of your hard work. Uh, We're going to have a look together tonight at the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. And I want to start tonight uh, by thinking about this particular statement. The Christian faith is a weak faith for weak people. The Christian faith is a weak faith for weak people. I want you just to have a think about that in your own mind. What do you make of that statement? Do you think it's true? Do you think it's false? Do you think it's got some room to move? Where do you sit on that statement? The Christian faith is a weak faith for weak people. Well, I can tell you, one of the things that we don't like is the sound of that phrase. We don't like the sound of it at all. That it might be a weak faith and that we might be weak people as followers of Jesus does not sit right, but this is the message of the book of 2 Corinthians. As we read the book of 2 Corinthians, we'll find out that the Christian faith is all about weakness. And paradoxically, we'll find that in that weakness, there we will find the power of God. Now, actually, when you think about it, God has always operated this way, taking weak people and using them for his purposes. Think of the great nation that he was going to build from Abraham and Sarah. Abraham, the the man who was a a worshipper of other gods, he had him converted and his barren wife, Sarah, was going to turn into a large nation, although how that would be seemed, well, very hard to work out. Think of the people coming through the Red Sea. God led them out of Egypt and took them to the most difficult place to cross the Red Sea in order to prove that it didn't depend on them but only depended on God. And we'll find out as we get into our Bible studies this week, we're looking at the book of Joshua and we'll find that the the taking of the city of Jericho was much the same. They walked around and around and around the city. All they had to do was shout, blow the trumpets, which was all obedience to God. And as a result, the walls would fall down. God has always used weak people in weakness to serve his purposes. But like, the Corinthians, us Sydney-siders, have a bit of a problem. We don't value weakness. We value power. If you've got power and I want it, I'll take it. And if I don't have it, I'll whinge and complain until I get the power. That's how our society operates. If you've got too much power, we'll pull you down and so that I can get up. Not only that, we like self-achievement. We like strength, not weakness. We like popularity. We like success. But 2 Corinthians teaches us that God is looking for weakness. When people rely on God, there we find weakness. When the church sits and listens to God's word, seemingly in a, a, an unhelpful way of communicating in the modern world, there is weakness. This is 2 Corinthians in a nutshell. It's an emotional letter. It's a powerful letter. It's a deep letter. It's a letter where the Apostle Paul pleads with his listeners. At times he uses anger. At other times he even uses sarcasm in this letter. But underneath it all is a deep affection for the people he's writing it to that they might see the gospel right. You see, what we'll find out as we go through the book of 2 Corinthians is that we will see ministry. And what makes ministry tick and that there's power in weakness. We're going to see conflict and what conflict should look like, but we'll see power in weakness. We'll see what leadership looks like and that there's power in weakness. We'll see a messy life and see that there's power in weakness. So I hope you've got that section of scripture open in front of you. We're going to have a look at it. Uh, tonight in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Before we go any further, though, uh, Slido is back for this series, Slido Q&A. We take questions and answers at the end of the sermon tonight, and that's uh, uh, slido.com and the hashtag HBSP, Helensburg, Stanwell Park, HBSP, if you want to write a question. Secondly, these books here are the book of the series. It's a terrific book. It's only a reasonably thin, but it's a great book to have on your shelf. It's by J.I. Packer. Uh, who's a a terrific writer uh, and it's called Weakness is the Way. Matt Leach has a bunch of these copies and uh, you can get a hold of one of those, 19 bucks. You can take it with you today, you can pay for it today, whatever works for you, but go and talk to Matt Leach about all of that. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, be with us as we look at your word just now. We ask that you'd quieten our hearts from whatever the weekend has been like for us so that you'd help us to see your word clearly. Uh, so that we might take the action you would have us take. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to state the obvious to begin with in our series. Two Corinthians comes after one Corinthians. There you go. You've learned something profound tonight. Uh, But what do I mean by that? Well, we need to go back and see the history of the city of Corinth. See, the city of Corinth uh, was a proud ancient city. And as Paul went on his missionary journeys, he visited Corinth in Acts chapter 18. And for 18 months, he was there in that city preaching the gospel. And eventually, people became Christians and a church was founded. And an 18-month stay meant that he could build the church a little bit and stay there for a little bit of time building this church. After he left, he went off to Ephesus and other places. And three years later, he wrote the letter that we know as 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. He wrote a letter that answered a lot of the questions that the Corinthians had. The Corinthians had written and said, hey, Paul, what should we think about this? And what happens about that? And what do you think about this and that? And Paul answered their questions. We looked at this in a series uh, we uh, touched on a couple of years ago. We called St. Ferals. We saw that the Corinthians were followers of Jesus. They were saved people. They were saints and sanctified. But their behavior was feral. And he wrote to change their behaviour that it might be more like the calling that they had in Christ. And at the back end of 1 Corinthians, Paul says that he plans to come and visit uh, the city of Corinth and take up a collection for the people in Jerusalem who were in need at the time. As it turns out, though, Paul didn't immediately go. Instead, he sent Timothy, his apprentice and off to go and visit the city of Corinth. And what Timothy found when he got there was disturbing. Not only was the behaviour in the church in Corinth off the Richter scale, but now the teaching was too. You see, there'd been some people that had come into the church. They were calling themselves super apostles. We're going to meet them in 2 Corinthians. They were powerful people. They had powerful preaching. They came with letters of recommendation to show just how good they were. They came with an entourage of people with them. They took hefty speaker's fees as they turned up. And what's more, they regaled the crowds with stories of the amazing miracles and things that they had done in their past just to show how wonderful they were. And everything was the opposite of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, who was weak, didn't preach very well had some illnesses and injuries and problems, and he was nothing like these super apostles. We already know from 1 Corinthians that the Corinthian church really valued those people that would entertain them, that would provide them a show. And now the people in Corinth were not only listening to these super apostles, they were holding them on pedestals, which was terrible because these super apostles were teaching false things about Jesus. And so Timothy comes back with this report. It's all going pear-shaped in Corinth, Paul. You need to get there quick. And so Paul does. He drops everything and he heads back to Corinth. But by the time he got there, it was a bit too late. By the time he got there, the people in Corinth wouldn't listen to him anymore. The other super apostles and teachers had discredited the apostle Paul and they wouldn't even listen to him. If you've got your Bible there in front of you, have a look at chapter 2, verse 1 of 2 Corinthians. Paul says, I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. This visit that he made was a painful one. He got there and he found out that no one was going to listen to him. He was discredited. And as a result, he was heartbroken, not because he himself was feeling uh, aggrieved or although I'm sure that was true but because if people wouldn't listen to him then they wouldn't listen to the apostolic gospel ministry of truth that came through him it was essential they understood his apostleship and it was essential therefore that they listened to him for if they denied the apostle they would deny his message as well And so Paul went home with his tail between his legs and he wrote another letter, a letter that we don't have, a letter that might might go between 1 and 2 Corinthians. It's a letter he describes in chapter 2, verse 4 of this letter. Have a look at it there in front of you. Paul says, I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love I have for you. We don't have this letter, but Paul wrote obviously this raw and emotional letter to the Corinthians that didn't go down well at all. It was a painful letter. It didn't go down well at all. And then he wrote another one. This one that we have in front of us, two Corinthians. Likewise, it is raw and emotional. And he's pleading with the Corinthians to accept his apostolic ministry because the gospel itself is at stake and therefore their salvation is at stake. And so, where would you start to write such a letter? Well, Paul starts with God Himself. This section, chapter 1, verses 1 to 11, is where we're going to look at tonight. The first words that Paul has to say to the people in Corinth in his second letter. And he starts in verses 1 to 3 by speaking about the God of all comfort. You notice in verses 1 and 2, Paul gives the standard greeting to his letters, although he does emphasize at the beginning in verse 1 that he is an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will. And then in verse 3, he turns to God. He blesses the God of all comfort. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Paul begins by celebrating God. He's got all these issues with these people, but he's going to focus in on God, who he is. He's the father of all mercies and the God of all comfort. That God is the father of all mercies is an important point. This is a, type of language you see over and again in the Old Testament in particular of the tenderness of God and the kindness of God. He's the God of kindness and mercy and tenderness and he's generous with his people in this regard. He's the father of all mercies. But perhaps most significantly in this passage, he is the God of all comfort. Again, this is an Old Testament theme, the God of all comfort. I don't know if you've been reading your Bible lately, but particularly reading the book of Isaiah, we see the theme of comfort right throughout the book of Isaiah. In the book of Isaiah, comfort really divides the book in two. Let me explain. In Isaiah, there's 66 chapters. And the first half, chapters 1 to 39, speak about God's people and their sin. And it's strong and it's dark and it's hard to read, but it reads clearly of the sinfulness of the people. But then in chapter 40, verse 1 of the book of Isaiah, the tone completely changes. And all of a sudden, from chapters 40 to 66, we hear about the salvation that God offers to his people. Let me read for you Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 and 2. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, her iniquity is pardoned and that she is received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. In the book of Isaiah, comfort is deeply related to salvation, deeply related to what God gives to his people. And we see this right throughout the Old Testament. Comfort is deeply connected to salvation. Now, I don't need to tell you that we understand comfort pretty well in our modern world, don't we? we just need to watch those shows where they take the comfort away survivor i'm a celebrity all that stuff you take those shows and you uh, take away people's comforts and well they don't like it very much we all know what it's like to have comfort food don't we something's coming to your head right now about comfort food we all know the comfort that comes after a hard conversation with someone and then somebody else gives you a hug i'm with you i'm on your team it feels better and we all know there's that chair at home that's so comfortable. Nobody else sits there. That's my chair or my pillow or my comfortable space. And for us, comfort is about our feelings. It's about how to make us feel better. But the Bible's definition of comfort is a little bit different. It's not quite about our feelings, or although it ends up being about our feelings. In the first place, the word comfort in the Bible is best understood as strength to go on, encouragement. And as a result, as God gives strength and encouragement to his people, we will feel good knowing that he's with us. But in the first place, it's about strength and encouragement. And so as we start here in these first three verses, we see the God of all comfort. This is where Paul starts his very tough letter that he's about to write to the Corinthian church. And as he starts here, it would do us well to start here as well. In every part of our life to start the day, to start the week, to start the meeting, to start the gathering of church together by understanding God, understanding that he is the God of all comfort, that he is there, that he's ready to strengthen you and encourage you with his grace and with all the comfort that he brings. See, whatever your week holds right now, this week coming up, we don't know. We don't know what might happen in this week, but we do know this. God has all the comfort required for you this week. He's the God of all comfort. This is where Paul starts his letter, and this is where we would do well to start our day, our week, our month, our year, to start everything with the God of all comfort. He is ready to strengthen. He is ready to encourage. He is ready to keep you going. He is the God of all comfort. But then as, as Paul moves on in verses 4 to 7, we see the cycle of comfort. Beck, you did a great job in reading. Uh, there were lots of the word comfort in there. Have you ever used a word so many times uh, in a sentence that it just stops making sense? It seems to happen a bit, doesn't it? You use a word over and over and over again. In, in the Greek language, the word comfort in this passage appears 10% of the time. 10% of the words are the word comfort. Paul's trying to get a message across here, and it's about The comfort, you might have found it confusing, though, as Beck read it, and she read it really well, but you may have found it confusing, sort of zone-out material. It's just there too many times. What does it mean? Well, look again at verse 4. In verse 4, there is a cycle of comfort. See, it starts with this, verse 3, God is the God of all comfort, and he comforts us. And by God comforting us, we are then able to comfort others with the comfort he provides. It's a cycle. It starts with God. We're filled up by God's comfort so that we are able to give out of the comfort that God gives to others. Now, perhaps there's a a better way of explaining it through life experience. It's true, isn't it, that the Christian life was not designed to be lived alone. It's not designed to be lived alone. That's why he gives us the church. And as we gather week by week, God strengthens us as we find out more of who he is and what he wants for our lives and what he's done for us. And his word and his grace strengthens us. And from that strength we've received, we strengthen others in their faith as well. We comfort others in their faith as well. See, this is the design for you and me. This is the design for The church, this is why the church needs to be full of relationships. Not sitting in pews, not sitting in seats, not with our major friendships outside the church, but with our major friendships inside the church so that we might strengthen one another. And Paul paints two scenarios about this. Look at verse 6. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort and salvation which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Now, again, it's a confusing little section. What's he saying? Well, he's painting two scenarios. Uh, Let me put it in terms, not of Paul and the Corinthians, but you and me. See, when I am afflicted and I go through a tough and difficult time, you are comforted. Now, how on earth is that true? Well, hopefully, as I walk through a difficult and challenging time in life, and you see me walking strongly with the Lord through that time, pressing on in Christ during the difficult time, you will be comforted. You will be strengthened. You will be encouraged. And conversely, when you go through a difficult time, when you are afflicted, when you are going through hardship and I see your struggle, I myself am comforted by that as well. This is what Paul is talking about here in the cycle of comfort. As we're filled up by God, we're ready to give out the comfort that he alone provides, the strength that he alone provides, the encouragement that he alone provides. Now, I could share a lot of stories about this in the life of our church, but I've asked permission to share one story about this in our church family tonight. This story is about Bob and Robbie. Bob and Robbie Brand. As you know, at the end of 2020, uh, right at the very end in December, Leonie Brand, uh, 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 mother and wife, uh, died of cancer. Terrible, sad, horrible thing that happened. Thankfully, she knew the Lord and she's in glory with him now, which is a wonderful thing. And yet, Bob and Robbie, in all of the ups and downs of that, did not rage against God but instead pressed into God. They trusted God. And get this, as a church family, we mark the role. Now, the reason we mark the role in our church is to keep up pastorally with each other and make sure that we're doing okay. No one in our church family attended church more in 2021 than Bob and Robbie Brandt. Not even me. Now, of course, it's not all about attending church. But if that's not an encouraging example of pressing into God in the midst of affliction, then I'm not going to be able to find another example. Nothing is more encouraging than that. Not only that, Bob, I don't know if Bob even missed a Bible study all the way through on our Tuesday night Bible study, week after week after week, he was there. And he wasn't just there. He was there encouraging us. Talking to us about God's word, challenging us, shaping us, helping us. He was pressing on in affliction and that comforted me. But it didn't just comfort me, it comforted the whole group. See, in his affliction, he was comforting us, even if he didn't know he was doing it. In his affliction, he was pressing into God's word and God's grace. And in so doing, comforting and strengthening others like me, like our Bible study group, and like others in the church there. Bob and Robbie, thank you for your example to us. Thank you. Now, of course, they are not the only example of this in our church family. There could be others. But what a wonderful example it is to us. And it's a reminder, again, why community matters. I need you. And you need me. And we need each other. We need more than just our nuclear family because they're going through the same things as us. We need more than our nuclear families. We need one another. We need to see each other's life. We need to see the afflictions in one another's life. We need to recognize that following Jesus is hard. There's ups and downs. And as some go through ups, they are able to help those who are going through downs and vice versa. And we're able to Pass on the comfort that comes from God alone, one to another. God comforts us by His word, in His grace, so that we might strengthen and comfort others. What does this mean for us? Well, it means a few things. First of all, it means we need to be people of God's word. Ella taught us this last week as we looked together at uh, the Bible reading plan that she's put together. Her friend, going through a testing time, needed God's word. We heard about that. We need to hear from God's word regularly so that we can be ready to give out to others in that cycle of comfort. And related to this, we need to be ready to, uh, to, to share with one another our afflictions, but also to be ready to share that comfort when it comes as well. This is the cycle of comfort that God has set up for his people. That when there is affliction, there's an opportunity for comfort and vice versa. Brothers and sisters, you're here tonight to help each other, to walk the life together. That's why we want to encourage you to join a Bible study. It's not just a selling group and a marketing strategy from us. It's join a Bible study group so you can get tighter with people so that they can see your afflictions, so they can see you pressing on and they can be comforted and you can do the same for them. Well, we turn in verses 8 to 11 to think more about the affliction that Paul speaks about in verses 4 to 7. He spoke in verses 4 to 7 about the affliction bringing strength and comfort and encouragement. And now we move to see the purpose of that affliction. And the purpose is weakness. Have a look at verse 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. That's some pretty strong afflictions, isn't it? Now, what were those afflictions? What are those afflictions that Paul is speaking of here? The answer is we don't know. And perhaps that's the point. We don't know what those afflictions are. Now, in this letter of 2 Corinthians there are various afflictions mentioned in chapter 11 there's a long list of afflictions that Paul gives that he's been through and that we'll work through over the next few weeks perhaps he's talking about those perhaps he's also talking about the thorn in the flesh that uh, is enigmatically there in 2 Corinthians perhaps he's talking about that perhaps he's talking about the anxiety of gospel ministry That he speaks about in chapter 11 as well. Whatever it is that he is uh, afflicted by, it is so bad that he is despairing of life itself. That is heavy, isn't it? It's heavy. I wonder if you've ever felt that way. I wonder if you've ever felt so discouraged or so burdened, so afflicted that you've despaired of life itself. Now, maybe you haven't. Maybe you've been in a hole, but the hole hasn't been that big before. But here's what often happens to people in any sort of hole. They say, where's God? He's absent. He's silent. He's left me. He's not helping me. He should be doing something and he's not doing it. And in the midst of the affliction, oftentimes people run away from God. He can't be there. He's not doing his job and I'm running away from him. I've had enough. But you see, you need to understand the purpose of afflictions. When Paul despaired of life himself, look at what the second half of verse 9 teaches us. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Here is the purpose of your afflictions. Here is the purpose of my afflictions. Weakness. Weakness that would drive us to rely on God because that's about the weakest thing you can do. We all love strength, don't we? And there's nothing more weak than a person that says, I can't do it. Empty hands, got nothing. Nothing. I'm hopeless. I can't do it. There's no hope. There's no uh, hope for me or joy for me in this at all. I can't do it. I'm out. That is the weakest thing we can say. And we don't like that. Because we like to say to people I've made it. I'm self-made. I'm self-reliant. I'm self-capable. This happens. Sometimes in even in church flock people say, uh, "Would you like some help with that? It's been a tough week. Would you like some help?" And people say, no, I can, I can do it, I'll sort it out. I resonate with that statement. Maybe you do too because we don't like to be weak. But affliction is designed to weaken us. That's why it's there. It's designed to crack us open so that we'll rely and lean upon God and his strength, not our own. Here's what the pastor in America, Mark Dever, says. He puts it well when he says this. When we rely on God and God shows himself to be faithful, he gets the glory. This is what he has always intended. He did not intend for us to be strong, self-reliant, without need of turning to him, thereby robbing him of the opportunity both to supply our need and gain glory for himself. He intends for us to be weak and oppressed and then turn to rely on him because then he can provide for our need and therefore be glorified. That's how he's always planned it. Now, personally, I know this to be true. I'm denard and I'm denard, but I already said this this morning, but nonetheless, I don't really want to say it again tonight either but I'll share with you how this is true for me. The reason I don't want to share it is because there's an understanding in my own heart that the pastor needs to be the strong one, out leading from the front. But a bit over a decade ago, I was struck with a reasonably strong depression. Now now I understand that it was born out of pastoral burnout in ministry. I was running too hard. There was a sense of burnout. I didn't understand any of that sort of stuff. And so rather than try and stop, I kept going probably harder than I even had before, and the depression sank in. I didn't realise where it had come from. I didn't rest properly. I didn't deal with it. And as a result, I was stuck down in a hole of depression myself. It was during a time when our three kids were less than three years of age, three kids under three, Kel was looking after them and studying full-time and then having to look after me in all my mess. And yet, in that time in my life, I would say my relationship with God has never been better than then, never. Never been more vital than it was in those three to five years of difficulty. Because in my weakness, I needed to rely on him. Now, I didn't fix everything. (laughs) Things at home were still hard. I still needed to get the wisdom from God that he's given to medical people and so on to get me fixed. But in my weakness of depression at the time, I was able to rely on God better than I ever had before. They were my best days in relationship to God. Ironically, and perhaps more than ironically, in God's plan, it also meant that my ministry personally was more successful than I've ever experienced anywhere else. Now, I'm not saying get weak with God and he will give you the desires of your heart and make you successful. And no, perhaps that was just a coincidence. Nonetheless, it was God doing his work through me at the time anyway. But in my weakness, that was my best time to rely on God. Now, I share this with you, kind of semi-fearful. I haven't shared this with many people in my whole life. In fact, I think even my kids will be surprised that I'm saying this tonight. But I'm convicted from the book of 2 Corinthians that power comes through weakness. And I I guess I get worried about this stuff for me. I feel like I should be strong, leading from the front, captains the last off the ship and all that. And I do worry that by saying this, someone might say, well, he's not fit to lead the people of God in this place. Well, well, it's out now. But I share it because it's the truth of the book of 2 Corinthians, that there's power in weakness, that God wants for us to be weak, not strong, that God desires for us more than anything to have faith in him, trust in him, which comes by weakness, not by strength. And I'm also convinced and convicted that there are more than just one other person in our church family who struggle with other silent afflictions and that they too need to come to God and rely on him and find the purpose for their affliction too, which is weakness. See, in your time of affliction and and difficulty, it is not the time to run away from God but to press into him And the reason he may seem to be absent from you is because he's waiting for you to rely on him. He's waiting for you to take up the purpose of your affliction. He's waiting for you to realize your weakness and to press into him. Would you do it? Because that's where the power of God's actually found. It's not the power of God to fix everything, it's not the power of God to make life better, it's not the power of God to make you successful. But it is the power of God to sustain you through life, in your faith, to strengthen you and to comfort you so that his glory might be displayed, which brings us back to the comfort thing again, doesn't it? Because as verse 10 says, he will never leave us. He will never leave us or forsake us. Look at verse 10. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. See, there is no affliction that is so strong that God cannot be with you in it. No affliction so big that he cannot deliver, deliver you from it. No affliction in your life is so big that God's comfort cannot overcome it, even death. You notice in the end of verse 9, Paul describes God as the one who raises the dead. Most of us think death is the time when God has abandoned us, but he can overcome the affliction of death as well. Not only in the person of Jesus as he was resurrected from the dead, but as the first fruits of the resurrection, so we will raise with Christ as well. No affliction is too big. We will be comforted even when death comes about because he's the God who raises the dead. See, as you start this series, you and I need to get into the space over the next few weeks to realise God doesn't value power and strength and boasting and showing how wonderful our resume is spiritually. No, God values weakness because then we find real strength, the strength of God. He values reliance because in it we find the comfort of God and he values faith because in it we let go of our own reins And we let God take the reins. In weakness, there is true strength and power. And from the grace and comfort God gives us, we are then in a position to give that same grace and comfort to others in word and example, one to another as well. Well, you might like to ask a question just now uh, in uh, Slido, slido slido.com using the hashtag HBSP. I'm going to take a couple of minutes break and I'll be back in just a moment to answer a couple of your questions. Thanks everyone for your questions. I presume you can hear me again. Uh, and uh, on that presumption, I'll move ahead. There's a couple of questions here. Uh, so why is the church filled with people who, for the most part, seem to have it all together? Uh, why isn't the church filled with broken people? Well, it is. Of course, it is. it's of course it's filled with broken people. Um, I get to see that probably more than anyone, um, and that's the privilege of being a pastor is seeing into the lives of people. Um, so the truth is, and we can just out all of us, all of ourselves just here and now, for the most part, none of us have got it together, okay? So let's just burst that bubble to begin with. It's just not a thing. Um, and I can tell you that from experience. I'm not outing anyone in particular, but all of you at the same time, okay? So let's just say that. Uh, the reason we don't is just because we're scared. We're scared, and I, and I am too, um, and I totally understand that, um, and that's why things like small groups are really helpful, you know, because um, not everybody's going to kind of stand up the front and whatever out themselves in you know, different ways. And you don't have to. That's not that's not the point. Um, uh, just as I know, you know, someone like Bob's reluctant for, for me to share that stuff necessarily and make an example of him. Um, uh, But all, all of the Bible study group would know that he's an example to them. Um and so I guess it's just it's just practice and finding those people that you can gather with that do that, uh, and that's why the community of those Bible studies is, is so important. Like I said, I'm not selling you stuff with that. that's just the truth. It's hard to do it with 70 odd people at night church. It's easy to do it in a group of five or ten uh, on a Wednesday, Tuesday night, whatever. Um, that's why those things are vital. and as Matt said, you just you, you just got to do it make time you just got to make time to get in those groups and do it. Uh, second one, a powerful start to the books. Thank you, Steve, for leading us to be vulnerable to share. How do we cultivate a culture of being weak in in church family life? I think the same way. Um, uh, I, I think that's just that's just the way it is. The, the, the weakness, though, is um, is not the end in itself. So the weakness is to drive us to God. So actually, what we're doing now is is a good thing. It's a weak thing, S- sitting and listening to God's word is not the most you know, best use of our time. It's not the best pedagogy or whatever it might be, but that's not the point. It's supposed to be weak and it doesn't work. And so uh, God gets the glory. That's the point. And so I think while we gather around God's word, we're showing ourselves to be weak in that way, which is really helpful. Um, when people ask, how are you? What do we say other than okay? Um, <laughs> that's a good question. Uh, we say not very good. Uh, or um, uh, we say, uh, uh uh, okay, but let's get together through the week and, and, and talk in another time or something like that. You don't, have to, you don't have to kind of bear everything out every every single moment. And the purpose of the weakness is not to necessarily go into all those things, but to share the, uh, the way it draw, draws us to Christ. That's actually the key. Um, so the key is not in us. The key is in what, in what it makes us do. Um, thanks for sharing, Steve. It makes you look stronger in our eyes, not weaker. Do you mind sharing what relying on God actually looked like practically? Uh, it's not very exciting. Um, it's just my Bible reading and prayer was better than it has been. That, that, that's it. Um, I wish I could say it was like some technique that's like really awesome and fantastic or whatever. It's just at that time I didn't feel like I had a handle on anything, so I had to go to God, whereas at other times I feel like I'm um, – I don't actually feel like I'm pretty awesome. I never feel like that, but – um but I feel like I can do it on my own. So I need to learn that lesson. Then uh, the last one is just a comment, So thank you for that as well. Um, thanks for all your questions and comments. I'm going to pray, then we'll sing. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us. We pray that you would continue to move us to weakness and to see the purpose of our afflictions so that we might be comforted by you uh, and uh, that we might come to you. And we pray that we wouldn't uh, simply focus on our weaknesses, but uh, on the place that those weaknesses take us so that we might find the power that comes alone from you. Thank you for this part of your word. We do ask, please, that you would uh, uh, strengthen us in it and particularly over dinner tonight, that you give us opportunities to uh, have conversations about what we've learned, what we've heard and uh, what we might take away from from your word tonight. Uh, Thank you for our brothers and sisters around us who provide comfort and strength to us as they uh, march on in faith following you. Uh, strengthened and encouraged and comforted by you. Uh, And so we thank you for people like Bob and Robbie and so many others around us tonight who strengthen us in this way and comfort us in this way. And we pray that we might be a similar strength and comfort to them. We pray that that cycle of comfort might be something you do amongst us because you are the God of all comfort. And we thank you in, uh, in your great and powerful name. Amen.